Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023 and the end of week 62 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,353 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 434 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine War. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Ukrainian forces continue to set conditions for a future offensive, targeting surveillance, electronic warfare, and air defenses, while using reconnaissance and reconnaissance in force to probe Russian defense in many locations. Second, Ukrainian forces continue to set conditions to complete their retrograde operation in Bakhmut and end their defense of the city. Third, Operational tempo has slowed throughout the theater of war, with fewer than 40 Russian attacks yesterday. Fourth, long-range weather models indicate that ground conditions will be favorable for larger offensive operations using armor and mobility on or after May 10th. Fifth, we maintain that Russian offensive operations in the Svatva and Kremina operational areas have culminated, and I probably don't need to keep repeating it. Sixth, The Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. And finally, the use of alternative private military companies and the lack of support by Russian Airborne or VDV forces caused PMC Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin to lash out at the Kremlin and Russian Ministry of Defense morning reports no longer mention the PMC, indicating the rift has reopened. I probably don't need to keep repeating this one either. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. Kharkiv Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Ole Sinyubov reported that fighting continued on the Kharkiv axis, with Ukrainian forces holding their positions. In the Dvorichna operational area, Russian sources, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, and the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Ukrainian positions in Liman Pirshi have been shelled for the sixth day in a row. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces continued probing attacks using reconnaissance and reconnaissance in force near Sinkivka. In the Svatova operational area in Kharkiv, The Russian MOD also reported that Ukrainian reconnaissance units probed Russian defenses near Berestova. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. 
Russia's push on Ukrainian defensive lines was short-lived but may have yielded some success near Kremina. Operational Command East, or OKE, spokesperson Serhii Cherevatsi reported four Russian attacks launched from Dvorichna in Kharkiv to Bilohorivka in Luhansk. Artillery fire increased, with Russian units firing 451 artillery rounds, mortars, and grad rockets. In the Svatova operational area in Luhansk, the GSAFU reported a Russian attack on Novoselivske was repulsed. Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reported that attempts to advance from the forested areas west of Kremina toward Torske, Yampolivka, and Terni failed. A geolocated video showed Russian troops being shelled northeast of Torske, and based on the new intelligence, we adjusted the map, expanding the salient west of Kremina 500 meters further south. The GSAFU reported a Russian offensive south of Dibrova failed. In the Lysychansk operational area, positional fighting continued east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, of course, with Russian forces unable to move the line of conflict. In northeast Donetsk, the leader of PMC Wagner, Yevgeny Prigozhin, claimed that Russian forces killed Ukrainian Major General Ihor Tansyura, alleging he was in an M113 armored personnel carrier that was hit by Russian artillery on the T-504 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. A Ukrainian Territorial Defense Forces spokesperson, Denis Zelinsky, told Ukrainian public broadcaster Suspilne that General Tansyura and all other senior leaders were alive and well. Operational tempo was significantly reduced in Bakhmut, with Ukrainian forces taking advantage of PMC Wagner's inability to consolidate recently captured positions. Despite complaints of ammunition shortages, Russian artillery was more active, with the Russian MOD reporting 74 fire missions and seven close air support missions conducted by Russian Army Aviation and the Air Force, or VKS. Northwest of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner attempted to advance on Bohdanivka and was unsuccessful. In northern Bakhmut, fighting continued in the area of Hospital No. 2, with Ukrainian forces and PMC Wagner mercenaries trading control of homes in the residential areas south of Rose Alley. In the west-central part of Bakhmut, Ukrainian forces reportedly retook control of parts of the medical college and maintained control of the industrial college on Tchaikovsky Street. There was intense positional fighting and shelling in the southern part of the city, but there weren't attempts at larger offensives by either combatant. PMC Wagner's attempts to advance on Ivanivske were unsuccessful. In the Kostyantinivka operational direction, PMC Wagner continued sustained attacks in the direction of Predtechne from the Seversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal without success. North of Klishivka, Ukrainian drone-directed counter-battery fire destroyed a PMC Wagner mortar position, on the east bank of the Seversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal at Ozaryanivka, an accumulation of PMC Wagner mercenaries was attacked by Ukrainian forces using a UR-77 meteorit demining system as an offensive weapon. The system fires a rope of plastic explosives which can be laid on a single location, creating a massive shockwave. There is video, and as with most of the photos and videos we referenced, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. It's a pretty impressive kaboom. 
Kramatorsk was hit by Grad or Uragan rockets, damaging a school, 14 high-rise apartment buildings, a hospital, and the adjacent Children's Rehabilitation Center, injuring one person. Kramatorsk was hit by Grad or Uragan rockets, damaging a school, 14 high-rise apartment buildings, a hospital, and the adjacent Children's Rehabilitation Center, injuring one person. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, elements of the First Army Corps attempted to push Ukrainian forces out of the trenches along the H-20 highway west of Novobakhmutivka and were unsuccessful. Wargonzo reported that Wargonzo reported that Russian forces attempted to advance on Avdiivka from Vesele. The GSAFU reported that a Russian attack in the direction of Sieverne failed. While Wargonzo reported that a Ukrainian attack in the direction of Vodyana was successful, in our assessment, fighting is continuing in the no man's land north of Vodyana with neither combatant able to maintain control of the region. Russian attempts to regain positions in eastern Pervomaiske also failed. Russian attempts, Russian attempts to regain positions in eastern Pervomaiske also failed. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued along the remains of Druzhby Avenue, with multiple attacks by the First Army Corps failing, despite having artillery support. In the Vukhladar operational area, south of Mikulske, a Russian T-72 tank moving away from the line of contact was destroyed by drone-directed artillery. Insurgents in Mariupol documented five truckloads of S-300 anti-aircraft missiles moving through the city toward Zaporizhia. Each truck was carrying four missiles. Ninety years and two days ago, the first electric trolley started operation in Mariupol. Yesterday, a single trolley restarted operation on the same route established in 1933. Russian President Vladimir Putin attended by a Zoom meeting. While the self-declared acting leader of the so-called DNR, Denis Pushilin, attended in person. A quick sidebar: a short video is available, and we do link to it, of course. It's striking to see the freshly decorated red, blue, and white trolley set against a backdrop of bombed-out apartment buildings. Moving on to Zaporizhia. In the Orikhiv operational area, Russian positions in Stepova were shelled by drone-directed artillery. In the city of Zaporizhia, two areas of civilian infrastructure were destroyed in an overnight attack. There were no casualties reported. Russian forces completed 69 fire missions on the Zaporizhia line of conflict and conducted two missile attacks, three air strikes, and four UAV strikes. Russian state news agency Baza reported that Ukrainian drones hit an airfield near Russian-occupied Berdyansk. Five drones were involved, with officials claiming two were shot down and two struck the airfield, damaging an AN-124 transport aircraft. In Russian-occupied Melitopol, an IED exploded outside the home of the deputy chief of the Central Internal Affairs Directorate of the Zaporizhia region. The man was wounded in the attack and required hospitalization. At the time of recording, there was no other information available. In Russian-occupied Tokmak, warnings went out across multiple social media networks about a Russian soldier who appeared to be having a mental health crisis in Kirov Park. A short video showed the uniformed soldier yelling incoherently and staggering through the park, firing his service weapon at the trees. 
Sidebar. Mental illness and suicide are sensitive topics, and their discussion can trigger strong feelings. If you are having suicidal thoughts or you're despondent, there is help available. If you're in the United States, dial 988 or 800-273-8255. You can also text 741741. If you're a veteran, you can text 838-255. In Canada, call 833-456-4566 or between 4 p.m. and midnight Eastern Daylight Time, text 45645. In the United Kingdom, 0800-689-5652 or 999. In Ireland and Northern Ireland, free phone 116-123, or in Ireland only, text 50808. In Australia, dial 1311-14 or 000, or text 0477-131114. In New Zealand, dial 0508-828-865 or 1. In Ukraine, dial 7333 or chat online via lifelineukraine.com. There was still no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or Operational Command South, or OKS, reported that the Black Sea fleet has eight vessels on patrol, including one kilo-class submarine capable of launching up to four caliber cruise missiles. Geolocated pictures and videos showed an explosion in occupied Crimea at a military base for Russian border guards west of the settlement of Shkilne. It is unclear what caused the blast at the former training base. Satellite photos from Planet showed that four storage tanks were completely destroyed by the Ukrainian drone strike at the fuel storage depot at Cossack Bay in Sevastopol, and up to six more were significantly damaged. In Mykolaiv, an Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drone struck a house in Kutsurub, destroying the structure. Ukrainian air defenses shot down a second UAV. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In western and central Ukraine, Kherson Oblast administrative and military governor Oleksandr Prokudin announced a three-day total curfew in the city of Kherson. Entry and exit of the city and being outside will be prohibited. No reason was given, and the curfew only impacts the city not the Hromada or Rayon. Some assessment. If Ukrainian forces launch an amphibious assault on the left bank from Kherson, I don't think there will be a group of people more surprised than our team. Large offensive operations have been preceded by a closed-door meeting of the Stavka with a limited group of military commanders and no readout provided to the press. We urge our readers and listeners not to jump to any conclusions. Russian and Ukrainian forces conducted artillery strikes and counter-battery in Kherson. Russian forces conducted 106 fire missions on free Ukraine, using 485 artillery rounds, mortars, grad rockets, drone-delivered IEDs, and indirect tank fire. The city of Kherson was attacked nine times, targeting residential areas, with one person killed.
Russian Fab 500 SE GLONASS-guided glide bomb struck the city of Velitenske on the west bank of the Dnipro, killing three and wounding five. In the Bereslav Rayon, Russian shelling wounded a teenager. A geolocated Russian video shows that Ukrainian forces control the marina on the east bank of the Dnipro and came under drone-directed artillery fire during night operations. Another geolocated video showed Russian forces shelling houses on Veliky Potemkin Island, indicating that Ukrainian control is more extensive than previously assessed. Based on the two videos, we adjusted the map. Russian collaborator and mill blogger Pavel Khubaryev accused Kherson occupation officials of corruption, calling occupied Kherson leaders a, quote, ethnic mafia created by dark money deals, adding, quote, these are the same people who have been drinking the blood of the Khubarevas, which is a name for humanitarian convoys in the Donbass, in the Donbass for eight years. My colleagues and I in Kherson have experienced fabricated criminal cases, imprisonment of the innocent, torture, and other outrages, but in a more sophisticated form. We are trying to solve the situation quietly without taking any trash out of the house. If we are unsuccessful, we will probably have to publish this story, even if it means a reputational blow to our common cause. It is very hard to sit quietly and calmly when a comrade in arms sits strapped to a fence on the street like a dog for weeks. It is painful when a person who has proven his dedication to the cause is subjected to horrific torture. End quote. Quick question. If this is how they treat their own, what is happening to Ukrainian dissidents? In Dnipropetrovsk, an Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drone struck the city of Dnipro, heavily damaging a city administration building. Air defenses reportedly shot down seven more UAVs. Satellite imagery from Sentinel Hub Landsat 89L1 confirms that a Russian attack in Pavlograd destroyed up to three storage bunkers holding expired solid rocket fuel. Sentinel Hub Landsat 89L1 True Color Pan Sharpened shows the third storage area has been destroyed, with material ejected northwest, north, and east. The adjacent storage bunkers to the north and south appear compromised while the southernmost one remains intact. There is no visible large-scale damage to the railroad station or the adjacent depot, or evidence of significant secondary explosions from the main blast site. The Kirovarad Oblast administrative and military governor, Andriy Rekovich, reported up to three Shahed-136 UAVs struck a fuel depot in Kropvinitsky at 300 hours local time on May 3rd. The fires from the attack were clearly visible on NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Sumy, the Hromadas of Milopilia, Yunakivka, Vorozhva, Miropilia, Seredina Buda, Khluchiv, Znovnovhorodske, Shalakhin, Esmen, Velika Pisarivka, and Novosloboda were hit by airstrikes, artillery, and mortars. An airstrike in Seredina Buda, followed by an artillery fire mission, damaged a school, two apartment buildings, and eight houses. Yunakivka was hit by five artillery shells and three mortars, damaging a farm building. Six mortars struck Velika Pisarivka, damaging a retail shop and a home. In Khluchiv, 16 artillery shells damaged an outbuilding and a commercial enterprise. Znobnovhorodsku was hit by 16 artillery rounds, 
damaging the sawmill and a farm building holding calves. Over 130 munitions were fired, striking 19 border villages. On the Russian front, Russian border guards claim they shot down a Ukrainian drone at the village of Repyakhovka, Bilgorod, which was attempting to target an electrical substation. At least one Ukrainian kamikaze drone hit a fuel depot in Port Taman in the Krasnodar Krai region, setting tanks with oil products on fire. Local officials declared a Level 4 fire emergency, the equivalent to a general alarm fire call in the United States. Twenty railroad cars, many carrying fuel products, were derailed in the settlement of Snezhitskaya in the Bryansk region. Area residents reported hearing several explosions before the accident, with local officials reporting three to seven pounds of TNT or its equivalent was used in an act of sabotage. Another IED was found at a train tunnel on the Bryansk-Unecha line and was removed by Explosive Ordnance Disposal Experts, or EODs. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. On May 2nd and into the early hours of May 3rd, Russia launched 26 Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones and reported 21 were shot down. Our team was able to account for the five impacts in Mykolaiv, Dnipropetrovsk, and Kirovrad. As expected, the Verkhovna Rada, Ukraine's parliament, extended mobilization and martial law in Ukraine until August 18, 2023. The measure will move to President Volodymyr Zelensky's desk for signature. Ukrainian forces continue to receive Iranian-made ammunition, with pictures showing Ukrainian forces loading 122mm shells for the D-30 howitzer. The most recent batch of ammunition was produced in 2023. It remains unclear if Iran is selling ammunition to Ukraine through back channels, if this is a third-party transfer, or if the munitions have been confiscated from illegal shipments. Denmark has pledged another $250 million in military aid to Ukraine, including demining equipment, additional ammunition, bridging equipment, and funds for purchasing air defense munitions. Speaking of demeaning, oh, nobody that was demining. Whatever. Let's talk about the Russian military mobilization and Mir. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, failed Mobik, and legitimately terrible person, Igor Strelkov-Girkin, was back into full Doomer mode, writing a series of screeds as he appears to no longer be concerned he will face charges under Russia's so-called don't-say-war laws, saying, quote, The Kremlin is not going to win this war and does not even want to, emphasis Girkin, neither ideologically nor practically. The Kremlin's amazing people are preparing for a long, victorious war, clearly counting on its relatively quick end. End quote. Just a quick note, Girkin is being scathingly sarcastic here. Girkin went on, quote, Russian troops, with the exception of the bloody meat assaults in the Donbass, are on the defensive everywhere. They are not preparing for an offensive. The abandonment of Kherson and the absence of attempts to liberate the city of Zaporizhia, as well as the available information about the preparations for the evacuation of civilian institutions in the rear of our troops in the Kherson and Zaporizhia regions, indicate that the Kremlin is ready to surrender at any moment to their respected Kyiv partners. End quote. 
some assessment. We give significant weight to Girkin's claim that Russian occupiers are preparing to evacuate Gauleiters and collaborators to Crimea, and it provides a data point that indicates how the Kremlin is viewing their readiness for a Ukrainian offensive. Russian Deputy Prime Minister Marat Khusnalin said that all checkpoints to enter the border areas of occupied Zaporizhia, Luhansk, and Donetsk would be, quote, further expanded by September, indicating that the Russian Federation will not keep its promise to normalize the border after the October 2022 illegal annexation of the occupied territories. The Kremlin had previously promised that part of the annexation would be the elimination of border checkpoints. Interestingly, no expansion was announced at checkpoints between occupied Kherson and Crimea, despite a previous request by Russian collaborator and occupied Kherson administrator Vladimir Saldo. The United Kingdom Ministry of Defense, Defense Intelligence Directorate, agreed with our assessment that Russian forces suffer from ammunition shortages, causing struggles between the Russian MOD and Wagner Group. Russia continues to give the highest priority to mobilizing its defense industry, but it is still failing to meet wartime demands. While Russia's political leaders persist in demanding success on the battlefield, Russia's logistics professionals are stuck in the middle. End quote. Russian propagandist and PMC Wagner-aligned war correspondent Alexander Simonov complained about the ongoing ammunition shortages, lamenting, quote, One night I was sitting at the command post of one of the Wagner assault squads. I watched on the big screen how our UAVs find the enemy, he means Ukrainians, in Bakhmut, and then are covered with artillery. After a certain number of successful hits, the duty officer says to the drone operator, Everyone, fly away from there. I have exhausted the night limit. Of course, there is always a limit, but the current one was very small. End quote. An unnamed source reported that three Russian cruise missiles launched as part of the April 30th missile strikes on Ukraine failed when they were released from Tu-95MS strategic bombers and crashed in a remote area. Russian officials are investigating what caused the failures. We cannot validate the report, but 20 to 60 percent failure rates have been documented for precision Russian munitions as early as April 2022. A report in Defense Express provided a potential explanation on why some Russian Fab 500 SE GLONASS guided glide bombs, or UMPKs, are landing in fields and have fallen on at least two Russian cities. They're too heavy. When the UMPK is added to a Fab M62 bomb, the weight exceeds the limits of the underwing pylon on the Su-34 and Su-35 multi-role fighter aircraft capable of launching the munitions. The UMPK is not especially aerodynamic, adding stress to the airframe during high-speed flight. Because the hardpoint weight limits are exceeded, some bombs reportedly have detached from the pylons and self-armed on at least one occasion. The UMPK program, which was started at the beginning of the century, was abandoned by the Russian Ministry of Defense specifically due to the weight issue. Russia is currently using approximately 20 glide bombs a day, indicating at least 600 can be produced a month. Some assessment? This does provide a plausible explanation for why UMPK-equipped Fab 500 bombs are striking empty fields and other unpopulated areas, indicating there is an extremely high failure rate. 
Russian state media agencies were given new guidelines, according to the dissident Russian news site Medusa. The new standards specify that state media should not reassure the Russian population by continuing to promote the message the Ukrainian armed forces are unprepared to launch an offensive. They are also instructed to focus on the extensive supply of weapons and materials by NATO countries in every possible way. If Ukraine finds battlefield success, Russian state media has been told to minimize Ukrainian success and say the progress was due to, quote, the huge efforts of the collective West, end quote. A quick note here. You may remember that before the withdrawal of Kherson, the Kremlin released similar updated guidelines to prepare the Russian population for a withdrawal from the West Bank and possibly also the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. All is going to plan. In geopolitical news, the embassy of the Russian Federation in Poland submitted a note of protest to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs concerning the seizure of the building of the Russian school in Warsaw, which, as part of switching to the Allied side in World War II, completed the 1939 Soviet-Nazi-planned occupation of Poland. That plan collapsed in June 1941 when Nazi Germany broke the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. In economic news, Tinder, the maker of the famous dating app of the same name, announced it would be exiting the Russian market by June 30th, 2023. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.